You and your crazy numbers. That's me. That's what they called me in high school. Crazy numbers, Bill. Science and technology. What was lost is found. What was silent is now a scream. What was dead is alive. I'm talking, of course, about It's Only Science, the hodgepodge podcast brought to you by Discover Magazine. We're back, folks. And if you're one of our handful of devoted subscribers, you're Pleasantly surprised, perhaps, to see our show pop up in your episodes tab once again. Indeed, we're in the studio, and we hope to keep churning out these episodes on a, what I'll call, semi-regular basis. We'll see how that goes. I'm your host, Carl Engelking, and I'm joined by Bill Andrews, Allison Mackey, Nate Sharping. Good to be back. We're all part of the editorial team here at Discover, and we really do love getting together to shoot the shit about science. You said shit? (laughs) I did. Oh this leave it out later. New season. New Start season, over. <laughs> it's part of the resurrection, folks. Mm, hardcore. We're setting, different vibes. We're setting a whole new tone. You're right, Nate. This ain't your daddy's podcast. <laughs> so first of all, as your host, I offer absolutely no explanation for our extended silence other than we just didn't record any more shows. Really, that's that. I wish. If, I wish, if only you really knew. <laughs> I wish <laughs> I wish the story were cooler, but it's it's not. So such is life. I offer my sincerest apologies to anyone we've offended. Now that I've thoroughly cleared the air, welcome back, everyone. And if you aren't familiar with the show, it's sort of, uh, I would say, a scientific potpourri. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. yeah. I like Hodgepodge podcast. That that sounded, that's about that right. Had, I had to practice that a couple times yeah, before, because that's, that was a tough one to say. Pop your peas. <laughs> we talk about news, we talk about strange science, studies, um, sometimes we even play games. And at the end of every show, we pick out of something we call the boredom bin, and we'll have a topic that... Someone's going to have to come bring something interesting about whatever they pull out of it. And in this episode, we're going to diagnose the many ways that humans are wired to detect a sick person. Whether by sight or smell, we know illness when we sense it, and that allows us to perhaps keep our distance. And Bill, who swears he doesn't count cards in his free time... I've never sworn that. (laughs) Quite the opposite, my friend. I'm just trying to provide you some cover. Um, (laughs) He's going to dive into the mind-bending, brain-smashing, soul blending whoa yeah <laughs> He's uh, been, yeah you were selling this when you got in here today it was pretty amazing i i think we'll all be uh shocked and and appalled at the numbers involved in my discussion today but by the way he's talking about the mathematics hidden inside a 52 card deck shocking mathematics and we might get our first direct glimpse or we might see i'm using c in in air quotes a black hole for the first time and we're not talking about my heart Oh. So how how do you image uh, something that absorbs everything that comes near it, that sucks everything in, consumes everything, even light? Well, the answer is, my guess, very scientifically. And Allison is going to run us through that because the, the way they image this is pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. And finally, Nate, ever the trickster, has brought brought a game with him today that will challenge our prowess as science writers and editors we will all either succeed or we will be crushed under the weight of our mediocrity. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's what the magic of editing is for, but be ready to be tested as you never have before. What are you talking about? This whole thing is done in one take. Oh, so, yeah. 
I'm going to shoot it over to Bill. What's the deal with a deck of cards? Oh, yes. Nice. That, See what you did there. That kind of humor <laughs> suits you, my friend. I forgot how much I love puns. Uh, yeah, a deck of cards. It doesn't seem like the the shockingest thing, right? We've all played with them. We've all been to games and held them in our hands, shuffled them. Some of us do little magic tricks with them, right? Daily stuff. Right, yeah. yeah, I've done every that. Every day, every morning. Yeah. All the time, right. But did you know if you shuffle a deck of cards well enough, like seven times to make sure it's truly random, the odds are overwhelmingly in your favor that that order of cards in your hand has never existed before. In the history. Never, ever? Of humanity. What? Ever, and ever? And then some. What? Ever, 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 ever. Even all the all the card decks that are shuffled every day in Las Vegas. Consider like, them. Yes. Every it, single deck has been a new deck. There can't be that many combinations. Consider even what? the historical precursors to modern cards. Uh, our ancestors would play with different looking suits, swords, and clovers and things. Even, even counting that, never. In fact, it's not even close. How can that be? What are what are the hard numbers we're looking at here? There are some hard numbers. So it all comes down to the number 52 factorial, which if you've seen it written out, looks like a 52 exclamation point, which is the correct punctuation based on how shocking it is. 52 factorial. <laughs> and that's what Jeff Bezos sees on his uh, count sure statements. Every time he gets it. Uh, and the thing is, because if you have a deck of cards, 52 cards, and they're truly random, then that means that for the first, imagine the first slot of the of the deck could be 52 cards in there because there's 52. It could be anyone. Okay, so 52. And then to get the total number of possibilities, the next one would be 51 chances in there because we've already had 52. So one less. So mm -hmm. it's 52 times 51 times 50 times 49 da -da 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 -da, times 2 times 1. That's 52 factorial. And that number, which is the number of possible decks you can shuffle, is ridiculously huge 8 times 10 to the 67th Ooh, wow. which I mean okay that sounds good yeah we'll all be like that sure that's a lot how big is that it's it's hard to put num big numbers in context mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, tell us Bill how big is it just just to whet your appetite consider uh, if you were shuffling a deck of cards once per second since the big bang somehow you went back in time and you could shuffle a deck of cards perfectly once a second you would not nearly have had enough time to get through all the possible combinations. The number of seconds since the Big Bang is 10 to the 18th. You still got 10 to the 49th times 8 more seconds to go. That That's already, I'm boggled. But let's get a little more specific. Let's go crazy. What are we really talking about here? Imagine that you have a timer that has 52 factorial on it and you press the button and then the numbers go down one per second. So effectively one shuffle per second, right? Mm -hmm. How long would it take to count down? How long is that many seconds? So to get a good grasp on the visuals, start by imagining your favorite place on the equator, Earth's equator. Maybe it's the ocean, maybe it's land, wherever. Pick your favorite spot and you're gonna take a walk along the equator around the world. But you're gonna go pretty slowly, you're gonna take a nice, casual pace of one step every billion years okay wow. so it'll take a while it'll take you a long time to get around the earth after you make it all the way around you're going to go to the pacific ocean you're going to take a drop out of the pacific ocean a little drop out of the pacific ocean that's it that's all you get to do now you get to go on another journey around the equator one step every billion years that's right okay uh and then once you make it again around the world 
you're going to go back to the Pacific Ocean, take out another drop. All right? This process is going to continue until the Pacific Ocean is empty. Okay. That seems like a long time, right? A, Surely yeah, we're, a little, we're, we're Okay, the next thing you're going to do, once the Pacific Ocean is empty, you're going to put a piece of paper on the ground. And then you're going to refill the Pacific Ocean, and you're going to start all over again. A step every billion years around the equator, and every time you make it, a drop out of the Pacific Ocean. And every time the Pacific Ocean is emptied, another piece of paper on your stack. It sounds like okay. some version of hell. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just nonstop. I was just going to say, the other day, I freaked myself out thinking about eternity. I'm like, well, what am I going to do for eternity? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Looks like count Sisyphus times yeah. a million. Try to, shuffle the same, <laughs> try to shuffle the same deck of cards twice. That's what I'm going to be doing. Oh, good luck, man. So once you have that stack of papers, it's going to go all the way from Earth to any guesses? The, the moon. Sun. The sun. And <laughs> once it gets to the sun... It burns up. Well, yes. Along with a lot of others. <laughs> along stuff, along with your patience, sure. But imagine once it would get to the sun, you still haven't made a dent. It's still the first three digits of the number haven't even changed. If you look at the counter, it's still 806 and all the other 65 digits. That's how much it is. So, I mean, okay. okay. All right. You do that a thousand times. You go through that whole rigmarole and you the papers all the way up to the sun a thousand times. You're still just a third of the way through the timer. So fine, you change your tactics. You want to do something else. That's too much. For the rest of the time, you start shuffling a deck of cards. Every billion years, you give yourself a five-card poker hand. So the rest of the time, you're just shuffling. So okay, every billion years, you get a, you get a nice hand. And most of the time, you're not going to do anything then. It's going to be a dumb hand, and you put it back, and you just start shuffling again. But every time you deal yourself a royal flush, you can buy yourself a lottery ticket, all right? And then if that ticket turns out to be a winning a number, then you get to throw a grain of sand into the Grand Canyon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right, we're almost there. Almost there, people. Once you've filled up the Grand Canyon, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's pretty grand. It's very big. Once you've filled up the Grand Canyon, you're going to keep doing all this, and then after the Grand Canyon is full, you're going to remove one ounce of rock from Mount Everest. Okay, now and then empty the canyon, and then you every so again the same kind of process for the rest of the time. Once Mount Everest is gone, if you look at the timer, you still have five times ten to the sixty-seven seconds remaining. You still have barely made a dent. You have to do that process two hundred and fifty-six more times before you finally get to all the seconds that have made a truly random deck of cards possible. So just think about that. Like, it's really true. Every time you shuffle a deck of cards real good, it's almost certainly a deck of cards that has never existed before in history or maybe ever again. Whoa. Treasure that. Pretty special. It's the power of permutations and factorials. It's very important in gambling and uh, probability and statistics and all that stuff. And so it's just, this is a glimpse into that world. If this piques your curiosity, check out all those numbers and permutations and combinations and all that stuff. Wow, you and your crazy numbers. That's me. That's <laughs> what they called me in high school, crazy numbers bill. <laughs> well, uh, from, from one thing that's pretty mind-boggling to the next, I think we can naturally transition over to seeing our first black hole mm. <laughs> and how we're going to go about doing that. Yeah, that is pretty pretty mind-boggling, huh? When, are, when can we expect to see some of this? Well, they have the, the data right now, and um, 
hopefully we'll be seeing something sometime in 2018. I kind of want to focus more on the technology than anything of this amazing feat and advancements in, in software and computing power over the years have benefited not just science but artists as well. So we're all pretty familiar with these amazing depictions of black holes we've seen in magazines and movies and uh, it might come as a surprise to some people that we don't act, we've never actually imaged a black hole. In fact, yeah. I, I was talking to someone this week about it, and they were like, "Sure, that we had already gotten this picture." I've seen so I mean, many pictures of like yeah. things blasting out of holes and like cosmic dust. And I've seen Interstellar. I know how this works. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like we've had it on our cover a few times. Black holes. No, yeah, real quick. Yeah. Why? Why is it? Why can't we see a black hole? Because there's nothing to see. It sucks in everything, including light. So what are you going to take they a put, picture they of? They put Vanta Black to shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Vanta Black. Classic. <laughs> Classic discover. Well, what, what they're hoping to capture, first of all, is not a black hole specifically, but rather the gas and, and dust, the light reflecting from the gas and dust around it. Okay. So, so those lights will create what they're hoping to see, which is kind of a line of light that would define the shape of the event horizon in a black hole. Kind of like an aura around it. Yeah, kind of. Halo is a, mm -hmm. a nice provocative hole term halo. they like to use, yeah. So to do this, they clearly need a really big telescope. How <laughs> the, big? <laughs> well, the biggest, the biggest radio telescope on Earth right now has a di diameter of 1,000 feet, so... How okay. big do you think we would need? Mm -hmm. So if you took a if you took one of those steps every billion years while shuffling a deck of cards, how long would it take <laughs> to get to the other side of the telescope <laughs> to see a black hole? <laughs> well, it would be pretty close to the, the walk around the world because we'd need a telescope almost the diameter of the Earth to do it. <laughs> pretty big. And clearly, we don't have another Earth sitting around to build a giant telescope that size on. So yet, and the things mm. we can do. So scientists have to get creative. So their solution was to tap into a whole array of telescopes around the world, and in essence, kind of creating a virtual telescope by using the distance between them, like basically the distance between all of these telescopes placed on different continents around the world creates an aperture the size of the distance between them. Okay. It's very clever. So we've ended oh. up with a, a really, really, really big telescope, and they're looking at it in radio waves because there's so much dust in the, the atmosphere and, and things that interfere we can't really see it in the optical wavelength mm -hmm. especially the target that they're looking at first which is the giant black hole in the center of Sagittarius A star which is uh, the black hole at the center of our own Milky Way oh. just how big is it the one in the center <laughs> of the Milky Way is 4.3 million times the mass of our Sun whoa, whoa. <laughs> It's a pretty big black hole. And then they have their sights set on an even bigger one in the elliptical galaxy, M87. That one's six billion times the mass of our sun. And our Go sun's ahead. pretty big, too. But even for an object that big, we're looking at something so far away that they have to come up with some clever optics, optical solutions so that they can resolve the sharpness between objects. You know, when you look at two blurs of light from far away, they're just going to look like one big blur. Oh, right. Basically, the other problem with this is even with all of these radio telescopes around the world, they still have to kind of guess to fill in the gaps between mm. them. So they've had to come up with some pretty clever new computer algorithms to resolve that. They end up with all these images, and they kind of just pick the ones that they think it will probably look like. Mm. And then they're going to go through these simulations and compare it. Mm. Makes mm. sense. Well, I'm assuming after they get this first one under their belt, they'll get better and better at 
photographing black holes or are we not going to be taking a ton of pictures after this? Because no, they hope to actually expand it. They have okay. on their website, they have some new scopes that are going to be added to the array for, for future imaging. So it's just going to get better and better. Yeah. They call it the Event Horizon Telescope. So dramatic. <laughs> I love that. Astronomers are always so good at picking names for the telescopes. And it's got some dramatic results, too. Um, they mm -hmm. talk about the, the angular resolution, which is the ability to get that sharp image on the EHT right now is equivalent to being able to like stand on the earth and point a telescope at the moon and read a like the words on a newspaper <laughs> or to stand in new york and like be able to read the date on a quarter somebody's holding up in la <laughs> i love comparisons like this I know. <laughs> just in case you ever needed to do this yeah, the government's watching guys and actually, like, you, you had that example that went back to the beginning of the universe. They had one, too, on their website. Mm. The amount of energy that we're trying to capture from Sagittarius A-star is so weak and so small that to collect enough energy to lift a six-pound book from a floor to a table would take the entire age of the universe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man, this, this black hole needs to lift more. Get out to the gym. He's so worth it, though. <laughs> so yeah, they're crunching the data now. Since we can't run cables from like Hawaii to Chile and, and South America mm -hmm. and yes. Spain, like they've had to actually fly these hard disks to one location. So they've been waiting until like I think it was early December. They finally got the last disk back from the South Pole, and you now they're gonna layer all of these data on top of each other and kind of use GPS data and atomic clocks to make sure they're precisely aligned and we'll see what we get. They think they know what it's going to look like. They think it's going to be roughly round, but if it's more oblong or more squat, they're saying that this could actually have some pretty major effects on our understanding of gravity and might challenge Einstein's. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of waiting for it yeah. to be a picture of Rick Astley. Oh, <laughs> oh no, not again. <laughs> we all get Rick rolled. <laughs> <laughs> Cosmic rig rolling. I don't know. We're, we've been digging into it for an, an article in the magazine, and it just blew my mind. The fact that we can even do this is, is yeah, incredible. That's where mm -hmm. we're at now. Mm -hmm. yeah. We can look at black holes and take pictures of them. Seeing the unseeable. Like so, it wasn't even mm -hmm. that long ago that we didn't even think they existed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were just theoretical, like what, you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago. And now it's like, well, here's one. Here's a picture. Past It'll last longer. Past few years ago. <laughs> Past few years have really been a pretty good couple of years for astronomy. Oh, yeah. Gravitational mm -hmm. waves, mm -hmm. black holes, mm -hmm. fast radio bursts. We're learning more about their mysterious origins. Like, That's right. There's a, lot crazy. Of, there's a lot of heavy hits coming out of astronomy right now, and um, I think the other disciplines are going to have to keep up. <laughs> Biology and with CRISPR is like, yeah, just wait. Just yeah, wait. That's true. That's true. <laughs> just wait till we make our super <laughs> beefy cows. Hold my beer. Yeah. So, so if we do get the black hole image before... 2018 is up. Are we talking an early front runner for top 10 year in uh -huh. science? Top five year in science? I think it depends how, how good looking it is. If it's yeah. an ugly Cover black image hole. Cover image. Yeah, we're not. I mean, it's very superficial. <laughs> we, don't wanna, yeah, we don't want an ugly black hole. I'm sorry. I, it's not, you know, hate the, hate the, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? It's not my fault. We got to sell magazines here. Uh, I think it'll probably be a pretty important story. Mm -hmm. We just have, you know, it has to come out. I right. want to see what it looks like. We I can't just do a, an all-black cover. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Nothing else. The, uh, the most accurate depiction of a black hole. <laughs> yeah. So with that, I, th I think we'll take a little break, and we'll be right back.
We're back on It's Only Science, and we're going to shift gears a little bit here. We talked about black holes and the math of a deck of cards, and I'm going to take the reins now. And... I'd say that math was pretty sick, wouldn't you, Carl? Oh, thank oh. you, Bill. I was looking for a way to dig myself out into a transition, and, and you helped me. Because I don't know if any of you noticed, but down the hall, there's someone just like hacking up a lung right now. I have been hearing oh God. despairing. <laughs> I've been meaning to go over there and like, you know, just call 911 for that. Hold, hold your breath <laughs> first, man. We yeah. really, we really in this country need to think about like our health benefits and letting some people stay home <laughs> when they're sick. <laughs> no shame. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like the end of like a war movie or something. And like they're surveying the damage in the field and you just hear people hacking <laughs> and groaning. <laughs> yeah. Using our own ears is one way to tell if someone's sick. You can tell if someone's stuffed up or they're coughing. But I by don't the, know what you're talking about. <laughs> but by the time you, you get some of these really outward signals that someone's sick, they're likely past their contagious stage or they're not as contagious as they used to be because signs don't even show when you're the, at your most contagious stage in a sickness. So there's an evolutionary advantage to hearing someone with a cough of death down the hall and knowing that you probably want to stay as far as you can from those death rattles. <laughs> but perhaps some of our other senses are involved in detecting whether someone is sick because clearly there's an evolutionary advantage to avoiding sick people as early as you can so that sickness doesn't spread to you and you can live to pass on your genes to the next generation. And I looked a little bit into some of the other ways that we can detect sickness and I found there's a couple, um, namely with our eyes and our and our noses. We have sort of a subconscious detection system that's built in. These two studies I'm going to talk about are both from the Karolinska Institute of Sweden. Apparently the researchers here are really interested in finding out how to detect sick people. And what they do in both of their experiments is they use an, uh, an injection called lipopolysaccharide, and that is an endotoxin that simulates the physical effects of being sick. So in their experimental designs for both of these, they inject people with this polysaccharide in injection and it kicks off like an inflammatory response within a couple hours. So yeah, you're not gonna be coughing and sneezing and get a runny nose, but it's like those very, very early signs. For their visual experiment, they injected their participants with this endotoxin, and then they took their photograph two hours later. I'll keep that in mind, just two hours later. And then they brought in a new set of observers who had no idea who had the injections and who didn't. And then they just simply looked at their photographs and they identified whether they thought that person was sick or not. So it was a 50-50 chance. So if people are correct 50% of the time, that's pure chance. You can probably toss these results out. Well, when the observers were looking at photographs, they correctly identified the sick person at a 62% or 0.62 score, which is um, slightly above, it's better. above chance. Mm -hmm. um, the researchers in, in their paper note that it wasn't like overwhelming or anything, but it does indicate that there is something there that we're seeing. And when I wrote the story, I, I put a picture on top, which was a composite image from the researchers that took every picture that they took of every person. And then they used like the eyes, the nose and the mouth as like anchor points and then overlapped all those pictures on top of each other. Sick photos to the left and people who weren't sick to the right. And they put them next to each other. And there's something that's different about the sick persons that when I shared this on Twitter, everyone could correctly identify the sick person. And again, these are photos from just two hours after an infection infection, quote unquote, was administered. So based on the responses from people that were looking at these photos, some of the things that stood out to them were slightly paler lips and skin, slightly swollen face, mouths with slightly drooped corners, hanging eyelids, redder eyes, and less glossy skin. And when you look at the picture online, it's, it's, it's very, very subtle. 
But these are some of the, the common signs that you might see in a person who is just beginning to get sick. And for us, that you know is an advantage because that person might not even know they're sick yet, but their corners of their mouths are slightly drooping or their lips have gone just a slightly bit paler. And two years ago, they did a similar experiment, but this time they tested the sense of smell. Again, they did the, the sick injection, and two hours later, they had the participants put on t-shirts and get a little sweaty and you know, I hate these types of. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's always the sweaty T-shirt. And these, <laughs> these what do they do with these sweaty T-shirts afterwards? <laughs> well, I'll Science. tell you. They bring in 40, 40 uh, participants to whip them out of a bag and sniff them. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, if you're going to be recruited for a study like this, you probably want to be. Well, I guess you know, there's a trade-off. You're either getting injected with a sick endotoxin, or you're smelling stinky shirts. There's only two kinds of people in this world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But depends on which side of the shirt you're on. <laughs> <laughs> but again, they uh, they tested it with blind observers, and they sniffed shirts that no one had worn. They sniffed shirts that um, healthy people had worn, and then they sniffed shirts that sick people had worn. And again, above random chance, they correctly identified the sick person's smell. They just described it as an unhealthy scent. They couldn't really put their finger on what it was, but it just it didn't smell very good hmm. smell of sickness so again these are these are pretty preliminary studies the results aren't all that compelling uh, you could probably reproduce this experiment and you know get completely different results perhaps but maybe what, they're onto something what were the percentages for the, the smell study uh, I believe it was pretty similar to um, the visual like in the point six, six right right in that that wheelhouse 60s there's something here, and it, what, what this does at least is uh, open up to like maybe researching it a little bit deeper. Um, one of the things for detecting like sickness in someone's face, perhaps you build an app where you can scan your face and it can tell if you're starting to feel sick or maybe certain illnesses have a specific way that they affect your face. Maybe your mouth's corner more when it's a virus versus... Um, you know, yeah. bacterial like infection. Like a new uh, medical diagnostic tool for like the yeah. the new Apple. Like Pretty or, much, yeah, like the iPhone X like uh, diagnostic uh, thing. Or maybe you could only take time off work if you use the company app and it detects these things. And if you don't have them, then I ah, get in here. In an Orwellian yeah. Uh, landscape, yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but yeah, it kind of opens the, the door to some of these interesting applications for, uh, for new technologies. But I mean, sniffing out sickness <laughs> isn't anything new. <laughs> In the other podcast uh, last season, one of our other episodes, I talked about um, a breath researcher who's using mm -hmm. um, scent from your breath because all of these smells are actually just volatile compounds that are like the byproducts of chemical reactions that occur in your body. And then they're admitted through whatever exhaust holes we have in our bodies, <laughs> our pores, <laughs> our mouths, put. nose, yes. you know, you can think of the other ones. Um, I, I am now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just never thought of it as, a, as an exhaust, exhaust hole. <laughs> That's the <laughs> shut your exhaust hole. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to know about the last sense. Are there any people licking the? <laughs> that I looked. I looked for. I didn't find. Do I couldn't find the other no senses. Taste? I think it's uh, uh, your eyes, nose, and your ears. But yeah, I you know there might be like some sort of like ethical violations That's with like designing experiments oh, where you're no licking one to lick a sweaty. T yeah, smelling the sweat, putting it in your face, <laughs> inhaling the particles of sweat. That's fine. But putting your tongue on it. Oh no. Diseases actually do have a very specific scent associated with them. For example, scrofula or scrofula, uh, it's a type of tuberculosis infection. It smells like hints of stale beer. Just hints. 
Yeah, a what, hint of stale beer. One of you, one of you just drink lots of stale beer. <laughs> <laughs> then well, you then, might. Yeah, that would skew your results. I think it's if you, I think <laughs> well, it's then you might have scrofula. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a lot of us out here. After you wash yourself off the next day, if you still smell like stale beer, um, mm. you know, maybe check yourself for scrofula. Scrofulatic. Um, yellow fever smells a bit like a butcher shop, I read. Oh, that's so, not good. What does that smell like? Like meat. Blood. Not good. Death. Yeah. Blood. Diabetes is known to smell like rotten apples, mm -hmm. while sure. liver and kidney disease uh, may make your breath smell slightly fishy. Mm. I just want to wrap this up with one final scent that we might all be familiar with if we visit our grandparents. The old person mm -hmm. smell in Japan where they revere their elders. Maybe with a higher regard than we do here in America, they actually have a special word for old people's smell. It's karishu. Aww. Researchers have recently identified that old person smell as a, a compound called 2-nanenyl. It is produced when chemicals from the skin uh, get broken down over time, and they emit these small odorous molecules that waft away into the air. It's sometimes described as a unpleasant, greasy, and grassy odor. And mm. it's also, this compound 2-nanenyl is responsible for the cardboard flavor of a stale beer. So What? Yeah. So old people smell and stale, stale beer. beer huh? The same what things are, are think about perhaps going on in there. I love I love the name of the compound, 2-nanenyl. Yeah, 2-nanenyl. Nanenyl, It sounds like the the hottest rap album of 2018, 2-nanenyl. True story. I was at a party a few months ago that had scratch and sniff snicker stickers, oh, man. and old people smell was one of the stickers. Oh man! <laughs> now I want to go back and see if it has that, that compound in it. Did it? Uh, did it? Did it hit on? Was it pretty good? Was it close to, you know, grandma and grandpa smell? I guess it does smell like grandma. <laughs> what were some of the other smells if that was in the mix? It's like the every flavor beans. This is vomit. <laughs> Yeah, I had some pretty, ah, yes. pretty bad ones. <laughs> we have to get uh, jelly beans on, or uh, jelly bellies uh, has to capture that flavor because they have like the puke flavor jelly bellies, yeah. old booger flavor jelly bellies, <laughs> yeah, old person flavor jelly bellies. <laughs> that might promote some uh, non-ethical practices. They just call it Silent Green. Get a taste of grandma. <laughs> yeah, maybe we were more in tune with like how people were feeling and how people were... Um, what their yeah. emotional state was when we didn't shower as That's often. That's true. I mean, and we do cover up our scent with, mm -hmm. with oh, like yeah, perfumes and colognes. And, and, and <laughs> clean clothes. I think about this all the time, sadly. Any any time travel kind of situation, I think to myself, man, it would just stink back then. <laughs> That's yeah. true, yeah. It would stink. Yes. <laughs> you used to be able to smell Paris like from, oh, from miles yeah. and miles away. They would just like dump everything in the street. There's no sanitation. Mm -hmm. Showering isn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. Brushing your teeth. I think people mm -hmm. people brush their teeth with coal back then. Yeah, so. why not? Mm -hmm. <laughs> would just go crazy. It's good enough for your furnace. It's good enough for your mouth. People you know? use pig's hair as bristles, right, and toothbrushes. They thought that was the healthy thing. They didn't know. If I get a time machine, I do not think I would spend any time in the past. Just go back with like a, like a clip for your nose. Yeah, a gas mask. I'm ready. <laughs> a bottle of Febreze. <laughs> so Nate, you're the the last remaining yeah. at the table to present, and I saved you for last because yours will probably be excruciating and embarrassing for some of us because we're Definitely. gonna really have to Definitely. to be yes. on our on our toes here. So mm, yeah. what have you planned for us well, as a challenge the, today? I spent all six months that we were gone coming up with this fine tuning this this devious game that I've yeah, right. I saw him putting well. this together like an hour before we came <laughs> to record. The finishing touches. <laughs> The last, the yeah. cherry on nice. top, you could say. The cherry yeah. on top of his mag, magnum opus, my magnum, magnum opus. Sounds delicious. I, this will go on my gravestone. 
As science journalists, we're often in the position of explaining incredibly complex subjects in simple terms. Uh, and this is hard, as I think we all know, and we often fall back on metaphors and analogies to help as us we've out. we've seen I mean, that was Bill's entire yeah. Yeah. Whole point. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, describing something like, like a computer or describing the brain like a computer or CRISPR like molecular scissors helps readers to picture what's going on, and I guess it probably helps us as well. When we're, we're trying to understand a concept. And some of these metaphors get a bit stale after a while, though. Yeah, let's so, say the CRISPR one. I, I've seen enough too many segments mans, of DNA many being cut with scissors. I, we got to exactly. think of something different here. Exactly. So I have a solution. Oh, uh, today, right. I'd like your help coming up with a couple new ones. Uh, awesome. There's a catch, though. Uh, I've already chosen topics, and I've picked out a few choice metaphors as well. You you each will pick one at random, one of each at random, and your job is to explain just how these two things go together. So, like, why the metaphor fits in exactly. this particular exactly. for this particular scientific why concept. Why one thing is like the other. All right, I'm sure it will be totally <laughs> accurate as well. Who wants to go for? I'll, I'll go. I don't All care. Right. <laughs> so, Sounds done, man. Yeah, yeah. Science metaphors. Yeah. These are two very scientific looking cups. I have a, I have exactly. a metaphor Nate and I have science. I didn't have a shark bowl. I have mm. nuclear fusion hmm. and your favorite socks. Oh, sounds, sounds a nice simple one to start off with. Boy. Is it though? <laughs> well, well no. what do you know about nuclear fusion? Nuclear fusion is it's something that's always 30 years away. You wrote a story about that, right, Nate? Exactly. Um, so there are better odds that society will be powered by nuclear fusion than you finding the missing partner to your favorite pair of socks. Hmm. There and, you go. And nuclear That's fusion, I guess I should add, is <laughs> nuclear fission, which which powers most nuclear, all nuclear power plants today, yes. involves splitting atoms in half. Nuclear fusion is the opposite. It involves putting the nuclei of atoms together. Theoretically, it could produce power plants that could power the entire world because it produces so much energy. It's just so incredibly hard to actually contain that process. It's what It's largely what powers the sun, you know? You basically that's how like much energy is at play. You tr- there. Once you trigger that that fusion reaction, it'll mm-hmm. like be, it's a chain reaction that'll continue in like a self sustaining cycle. So, that's the goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's a, a a better form of energy because it sustains itself. But it's yeah, like you said, it's very hard to contain exactly. that it's reaction like and make it useful. The sun. So far, uh, we use more energy to actually fuse the atoms together than is produced. So. Mm. We're still working to get to that point where more energy comes out of the reaction than what went into it to create it. So there you go. <laughs> well done. The odds that the world will be powered by nuclear fusion are about the same as you finding the missing companion to your favorite pair of socks. Scientific metaphor number Boom. one. There it is. Yeah. All right. I don't know how you score this, but <laughs> that was a good you got a point. I, I'll just I'll assign points as I see. There's it. really no score. Ladies next. Each cup. Twitter. Twitter. Oh God! Is that the science or the? And infinity. Oh, that was. <laughs> Can I go? You want this one? I guess. I guess. You know, my first thought was, reading enough Twitter is like staring into infinity. In 30 years, Twitter goes from 280 characters to infinity. Oh my Ooh, God! That's Honestly, good. my take would be that they're just both terrible. Infinity and Twitter. <laughs> Who needs them? All right. Sorry for stepping in. But, uh, but anyway, Alice. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to take yours. I don't know. <laughs> Pick another one, Allison. 
since we sort of swooped in. Yeah, here sorry about that. Be a, yeah. quiet. Be collaborative, you know. <laughs> yeah. However. I think it counts. <laughs> yeah, collaboration. That's that's good. That's what, what science is all about, too. Mm. All right, well, then I guess I'll go. I got... Ooh, this is... Did you write this? This handwriting is nice. Yeah, thank you. Thank my third grade teacher. I'm, I, I will. Quantum physics. Oh, all right. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. And the godfather. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. You could deal with very small transgressions against the stuff. Mm. Yeah. You, uh, you don't know if your uh, girlfriend's dead until the car explodes. There you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty good. You don't. You have to check, and then that, that's how, that would tell you. Uh, I, I keep wanting to do something with Marlon Brando and his voice, but I can't. <laughs> I can't think of any quantum physics. There's a lot of old guys in the history of uh, quantum physics, and there's quite a few older folks in The Godfather. I love The Godfather too. I just I can't think of any any really good. Um, you know, it's it's hard. It's okay. They're they're hard to get into initially, but so rewarding once yeah. once you do once you put in the time to understand them and see how deep they they can both be, you'll be amazed. Fair enough. Right. That, I was really try- I was like checkers. rolling over something in my head to like try to figure out a way to do something with a horse head yeah, like too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a chopped off horse head on one yeah. side of the world will disturb another chopped head <laughs> on the other in uh in <laughs> tangled horse heads. Yeah. <laughs> Which is it going to be? In uh turn of the century Ber- turn of the century Berlin some scientists Einstein made the scientific establishment an offer it couldn't refuse. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and the rest is history. I like that. I like that. All right. Good one, Bill. Thank you. I'll take a turn. Let's see if I'm undone by my own creation. So I got CRISPR and life. Oh, come oh, on. <laughs> if you can't come so up with something here. Pretty much writes itself. Uh, so, well, I mean, it's just CRISPR, comma, life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> CRISPRing life, indeed. I mean, CRISPR is obviously a gene editing technology. Some have said it's like molecular scissors, perhaps. I've heard that. It uh, use a virus to get into the cell and deliver this <laughs> short bit of DNA that can cut out a snippet from our genome and replace it with something else, uh, allowing us to edit the blueprint of life itself. Uh, and it's like life because it's super powerful, man. Once he said that, I knew it's not going to end well. It's like life, man, because... Life is such a know? big concept. I regret I regret writing that now. All right, let's keep this going around. Yeah, we got to see if we can get some, uh, Come on, Carl. some hits on here. All right, I got Dark Matter hmm. standing in line at the DMV. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Man, that's tough. <laughs> they both underpin the very foundations of our universe. <laughs> yeah. What more can you say? Both are fundamental to the existence of, of the universe and require patience. You got anything else with dark, dark matter, Bill? <clears throat> Just as bits of dark matter crowd around galaxies, informing us of their existence solely through the gravitational influence, so must people crowd in line at the DMV to make sure their influence is heard. <laughs> Insert mic drop. <laughs> That's that's the best I got. I don't know. Standing in line at the DMV, how most theories to describe what dark matter is are formed. 
Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. All right. Should we go around again? Yeah. Keep on going. Ooh, black hole. Hey. <laughs> this is the first one I wrote down. That's the comparison, right. though. Now the science will be crisper again. Being a science journalist. <laughs> I got really hey. meta at the end. I was going to say. <laughs> running out of stuff. What? <laughs> I mean, this could get really depressing. I, like. I was getting steadily more we depressed. We actually have throughout. a lot of material to work with here. <laughs> Too much, some some might say. <laughs> it's like being a science journalist and that oh, the, the information just keeps disappearing. <laughs> it's like you're just getting crushed smaller and smaller. Yes, yes. <laughs> by outside forces. Also difficult to make the cover unless you look good. Oh, yep. <laughs> also, pictures of either not very common. Mm, science journalists are like black holes because no facts escape their Ooh. proximity. Attention. Yeah. yeah, their attention. Science journalists There's... are like black holes because our salaries are continually crushed into smaller and smaller, <laughs> compact and tinier little bits. Sometimes you can't even see them. Yes, some <laughs> folks aren't even sure they exist. <laughs> science a... journalists are like black holes because we're incredibly dense. Mm. And r increasingly rare. And massive. I've got... A marshmallow and atoms. Uh, marshmallows like atoms are mostly empty space. Oh, that's really yeah. good. That's wow. that's the best one. That was good. Some. Oh, this, it's the last metaphor, unfortunately. Ooh, okay. So, how are viruses like getting old? Viruses and old people are similar because they show some signs of life, <laughs> but not all. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a good one. I think with that, I think that's the. Yeah, I can't top that. Sorry. I'm Sorry. not even gonna try to. I feel like that makes up for the Adams one. I guess that's uh, pretty good. <laughs> well, we have run out of metaphors, and that's all right because we have another bucket to dip into, and that is the boredom bin. Oh, that was a metaphor because it's not really a bucket. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like a a decorative shark cereal bowl. Uh, it's filled with all these topics that are just sort of like what uh, what Nate gave us, just generic scientific topics. Pretty but, bland, though, too. Yeah, Nate picked some interesting ones. Yeah. Too, yeah. So at the end of the show, we like to reach into the boredom bin, and then the next episode, the person who picked a topic has to come in and tell us a bunch of interesting stuff about what they picked. So I suppose I should reach in first. So to kick off the, the, show us how it's done the new again. season of It's Only Science, I will reach into the boredom bin. There's still so many topics, man. Yeah, we didn't, we say, didn't even make a dent. Yeah. Have we re it's still the same original no yeah. additions? Unless someone's been sneaking in here and like swapping them that out. That would be the weirdest thing. It's just like phone numbers in there now. <laughs> Economics. <laughs> That'll be easy for me. The dismal science. Next episode, I will be talking about some scientifically interesting things with economics, and I think there should be some fun stuff. Let us know if you've turned into a Marxist. <laughs> turned into. <laughs> well, that about does it for us in uh, this episode of It's Only Science. We thank you all for joining us. Uh, check us out on discovermagazine.com. Uh, go shopping at myscienceshop.com. And keep an eye out for us on newsstands. Until our next recording, we look forward to seeing you again. <laughs> <laughs>